Hi there, it's the Wrong Station team here. First off, we'd like to thank all of our listeners who have once again made our most recent season our biggest yet. And a very special thanks to our Patreon supporters, who help us cover operational costs and make it possible to devote more time to the show. We're really excited to get cracking on Season 5 and bring you more of the strange stories you love for the fall. Now, obviously, there's a lot more going on in the world right now than our season finale. And so, we at The Wrong Station want to explicitly say that we stand against racism, prejudice, and police brutality. Black lives matter. Indigenous lives matter. We commend those bravely protesting injustice. We encourage you to donate to BLM and civil rights funds, sign petitions, continue educating yourselves and those around you, and protest yourselves if you can do so safely. As we also continue striving to be better. Much love. Stay safe. You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into the wrong station. Day Zero Status Report Jay and I are prepping the containment suits and food stores for our drop from orbit. It's been a week since we launched the RL field generator down to the surface of the unnamed planet. The Geiger imager confirms what the physicists at Historium expected. The mysterious, ionizing radiation they detected seems to cover the planet completely. Thick as a cloud of gnats. Well, at least now Historium knows they weren't wasting their time with this mining mission. I could see the smug faces in the spectroscopy department right now. We also sent a Tensus drone ahead of us, just like protocol says. Useless, of course. The drone can't transmit a single kilobyte without the radiation blasting the data to bits. Even if it could, it's not like we'd be able to pick out the message from the background noise. Jay says it would be like trying to track a single snowflake through a blizzard. So, yeah, waste of a drone. But, I don't really care. Historium is footing the bill anyway, and their pockets are deep enough. I'm just glad we didn't come all this way for nothing. Looking forward to getting down there and collecting our payday. If it's as huge as I think it's gonna be, well... I'll buy Historium as many drones as they want. <laughs> Jay is shaking her head at me. I'm kidding, Jay! I'm not gonna buy them replacement drones. <laughs> uh, day one. We're prepping to drop down to the planet's surface. Today has been a flurry of systems checks and practicing the atmospheric entry. And tomorrow, we'll be the first people to set foot on an alien world. The first half of the adventure is nearly over. Throughout the day, I've found myself thinking about what Jay and I left behind. Before takeoff, we put duct tape over the small digital calendar that shines above our bed on the ship. The tape stayed there for the entire four years of near-light-speed travel. I guess 
Neither of us wanted to face the reality of our choices. Not yet, anyway. A few days before we arrived above the planet, I peeled the duct tape off and finally saw the relative time difference for the first time since takeoff. In the four years we've been on the ship, over 200 years have passed on Earth. 200 years. Our friends are gone. Our families. Everyone. I guess that's relativity for you. I mean, we knew what we were getting into when we took the job, but Jay convinced me it was worth it. After all, we would be together. The pay was astronomical. Literally. And that's without getting into the bonuses or the fact that our pay was placed in Historium's investment portfolio until our return. 400 years of interest and dividends is nothing to sneeze at. Not only would we be set up for life, but so would our great-grandchildren. All we had to do was say goodbye to everyone we'd ever known and fly 5,000 light years away. We had a huge party before the journey. Jay and I planned it together. We rented out an entire hotel for an incredible weekend in Hawaii, and then blew all our savings to fly in every single person we might ever want to see. Not just friends and family. I sent invites to old co-workers, enemies I wanted to forgive, the grade school crushes I still wanted to kiss. There was a lot of crying, and a lot of laughing. People got wasted and slurred, heartfelt speeches memorializing us. To them, they were eulogies, even though we would outlive every single person at that party by several lifetimes. Their descendants would only know us as folk tales, if they knew us at all. I remember. Jay's family was so warm that night. They were just hanging off her. God. Their love for her was radiant. They loved her for having the strength to leave, even though they wanted nothing more than for her to stay. I guess that's the deal you make. The person you love will make huge, reality-bending decisions that you can't understand. Decisions that sometimes frustrate you or make you sad. But in return, you get to love them. There were fireflies that night. I was so drunk that it took me 20 minutes to catch one under my glass. I brought it to Jay. She watched it blink its light for a few seconds, smiling her perfect smile before she lifted the glass. I held her hand as we watched it fly off together, floating on the balmy island air. Perfect moment inside of a perfect moment. Sometimes I miss the earth I left behind, but I never regret following Jay. <laughs> I'm, I'm rambling. It's 2100 hours and we've got another landing simulation to complete before bed. Tomorrow's the real deal. This will be the last transmission you'll receive from us before the radiation forces us to go dark. I'll keep an audio log while we're planetside. Just for posterity. Day 2, status report. We've, um... We, we've touched down, set up the base, uh... Everything is fine. RL field operating at 100%. We haven't started collecting the radioactive material. Shouldn't be hard. I think the whole planet is made from it. Honestly, I can't really focus right now, because... Wow, they're... Holy shit! Flora and fauna here. If you could call it flora and fauna... Look at the... Jay! My god, Jay! Did you see that one? Flew right overhead! 
Day 4 status report. Okay. Okay. It's, uh, it's nearly done. Jay's asleep in our tent. I'm just walking the perimeter of the RL field, getting rid of the bodies. It's been an unbelievable few days. When we left Earth, I thought, well, Jay's the one with a particle physics PhD, so I thought I'd be dead weight. I figured a planet covered in ionizing radiation couldn't have much biology for a little old zoologist like myself. Turns out, life is just about all there is here. You'll see it on the cameras when we get back, but for the sake of posterity, let me describe what happened last night. All around the RL field was this teeming mass of... I hesitate to say plants or animals or fungus because none of our Earth taxonomy applies. The radiation here is so intense that everything, and I mean everything, is constantly mutating. The life here doesn't wither and die when faced with massive radiation. Instead, it adapts and changes in real time. The radiation causes thousands of mutations a second, and the environment selects for the most useful ones. It's like hyper-evolution. Uh, I'll give you an example. Last night, I was looking through the RL field, and I found this small, round... something. In the four days we've been on the planet, I'd seen this creature before, and knowing what I know now, I doubt it even existed before last night. It had massive eyes that reflected moonlight to help it see. Like the nocturnal animals we have on Earth. The pupils were triangular for some reason. It had seven legs. <laughs> I guess it didn't see me as a threat because it didn't run off. I had a hunch, so I held my flashlight over it for just a few minutes, and I shit you not, the eyes shrank. Not the pupils, the entire eye structure. Just a few minutes of exposure to bright light and... The eyes were no bigger than mine. It was like watching four million years of natural selection and fast forward. Evolution. Still undefeated, even in space. Oh, uh... Right, I should explain what I meant earlier by getting rid of the bodies. Well... You know that the RL field keeps out radiation, right? But it's not actually a physical barrier. Like, I could walk through it right now. Not that I would, because I don't want to get cancer. Or worse. Anyway, the opposite is also true. The life forms here can walk right through the RL field. It was scary the first night. Jay and I were roasting some soy protein over an old-fashioned campfire when this huge, bright purple mycelium-looking thing burst through the field. I nearly shit myself. I grabbed Jay and we started running for the hab. But before the thing could get even five feet inside the field, it disintegrated in front of our eyes. It just fell apart. Apparently, the life forms here didn't just adapt to the radiation. They need it to survive. Like air or water for us, but even more essential. If they aren't constantly being bombarded by radiation, then they just collapse. Jay came up with a testable hypothesis. The next morning, I took the dead pieces of the Mushroom Man and threw them outside the RL field. Sure enough, after a few moments of life-giving radiation, each of the pieces began to reform into completely new individual organisms. Fur, fins, scales, wings, legs, they all popped from the surface of the inert matter, as if testing the environment to see what adaptation would be the most advantageous, finding their niche in the constantly changing radioactive world. I can't be certain, but I'm not sure anything ever truly dies here. 
Anyway, the bodies. Every night, at least a few creatures find their way into the RL field by accident. That means every morning, our side of the RL barrier is littered with limbs and gizzards from whatever eyeless albino weirdness the nocturnal evolution cycle churned out. I try to walk the perimeter around Dawn and throw the monster pieces back through the field. Because, jocker, Jay hates to see stacks of decaying space flesh first thing in the morning. Yet another reason why I'm such a good husband. Day 5 status report. Nothing new to report. For fun, I set up a camera and threw some of the tofu protein outside the RL field. Sure enough, it started to mutate. Took 20 minutes for it to become a sort of blue translucent worm with antenna. Didn't get far before it got eaten by a... a flying mollusk, I think? I don't know. I'll check the tape. Nice try, little tofu. Better luck next time. Day 7 Staz Report. The material collection is a cinch. The contract we signed with Historium included five tiers of bonuses based on the total amount of the radioactive element we collect. We surpassed the third bonus tier on our first day. I mean, these mineral deposits are purer than pure. The planet might as well be solid gold. Tonight I'm walking the perimeter again, more out of curiosity than any actual need. The nocturnal evolution cycle is producing a lot of bioluminescent life forms this evening. A lot of flashing blues and violence emanating from creatures that are just out of sight. I guess the closest thing would be fireflies back on Earth. Fireflies. Day 8 status report. Jay and I have a solid routine. Wake up, eat breakfast, 8 hour mining shift with a pause for lunch, and then back to base. It's nice that the rad suits have a food compartment so we don't have to walk all the way back to the RL field just for a non-radioactive meal. On the ship, Jay and I maintained a weekly two-person book club. But we've totally abandoned reading in favor of our lawn chairs. Every evening we park ourselves near the RL field and watch the lifeforms as they run, trot, float, fly, stroll, and scuttle by. Day 9, status report. Extraction is still going well. As expected, the rat suits are still fully neutralizing the radiation coming off the mineral. Per day, Jay and I are gathering maybe 50 or 60 kilos of the stuff. Even if there was a ninth bonus tier, we'd be well past it. It's harder work than what you'd think, especially with all this life around. You know that feeling when you're walking in your house and suddenly the cat darts by your ankles and you nearly fall flat on your face? Yeah. It's like that, but replace the cat with the whole damn planet. But the life forms here mostly leave us alone. Since the suits are radiation neutral, anything that touches them starts to fall apart. Even the apex predators don't want to mess with us. Guess that makes us the apex apex predators. Uh, on, on that note, Jay said she wanted to try and cook and eat one of the animals. I, uh... I don't think she's joking. Day 11 stats report. A lot of predators today. I saw a creature made entirely of wings, swallowed whole by some kind of octopus thing the size of a small house. It was perfectly camouflaged against a mountainside. A tentacle snapped out and grabbed the bird thing before I could blink.
Jay has... She's... Jay died. If she just... She could have been different. No. She's gone. I'm all that's left. Day 15 stairs report. I sifted through the campsite wreckage, but not much is left. Lander is toast. Probably get 20 bucks for it for scrap metal. If I had any way to get back to Earth. <laughs> Jay should have survived. I... I covered her shift to gather more of the mineral. I wanted her to have the day off, I guess. The life was... Stranger than I'd ever seen it that day. For some reason, maybe something environmental, all the organic material on the earth had evolved into these tall towers of flesh and bone. Wherever we looked, as far as the horizon, that's all we saw. Towers that scraped the border of the troposphere. Like redwoods, except a hundred times bigger. Their towers were supported on these phalanges, sort of halfway between legs and tentacles, that propelled the towers forward. They moved with the deliberate slowness of cumulus clouds. For once, gathering the ore was a breeze. I didn't have to worry about any small animals tripping me up. Everything was in the towers. When I got back to the RL field, one of the towers was trundling past the campsite. Jay was watching its progress from where she reclined in her lawn chair. When I passed through the field, she was holding the binox to her eyes, squinting at the peak. She... Smirked. She must have seen something interesting at the top, and she turned toward me to share it. She didn't see as the great mass of living flesh slowly began to pass through the RL field. Deprived of radiation, the living matter began to die and peel off the moving tower in great hundred-ton slabs. The ground shivered as they slammed to earth. Jay and I both turned to the source of the disturbance. Jay's eyes grew wide. She bolted for the lander, but it was too late. The tower was fully unbalanced. It was tilting 20 degrees, then 30, then 40. I chased after Jay. I grabbed her arm, pulled her back, barely managing to stop her from being crushed as the hulking mass crashed down onto our camp like a meteor. The impact tremor threw us both to the ground. Jay landed on top of me. I remember there was blood pouring from her ear. The shockwave must have perforated her eardrum. The lander was destroyed. Our one way off this rock. Our living quarters annihilated. I started walking back toward the destruction in disbelief. I could feel Jay pulling me, clutching at my arm. It barely registered. Everything gone. Everything. But the mass was still moving. Like boils bursting, new life was splitting, dividing from the colossal pile of matter. I stopped walking. That should have been impossible. The RL field negated the radiation. No radiation, no evolution. And then I saw it. The RL field generator crushed beyond recognition by the organic mass. Now I felt Jay's hands on me. Now I understood. When the tower fell, I'd only just come back. I was still in my RL suit. But Jay... I whirled around. Her 
bare skin was already peeling from the radiation. Bright red burns covered her face. Her tears boiled as they slid along her cheeks. We stared at each other for a moment, not knowing what to do. I reached out and we embraced one another for a moment. Jay pulled away to look me in the face. She smiled. Just a little. Running her hand along the protective fabric that encased me like a cocoon. Like a prison. She opened her mouth to say... Something. I'd like to believe it was goodbye, or... I love you. I'll never know, because at that moment, a long, purple tendril emerged from her throat. Her eyes grew wide as it flicked back and forth across her face, lashing her cheeks. Instinctively, she reached for it, only to discover that her hand was no longer a hand, but a long snout plated with gray chitin. Terrified, she turned back to me. I stepped forward, grasping her in my arms, but there was nothing either of us could do. The radiation on this planet, it changes all matter, bends it, breaks it, reshapes it. I held Jay tight against me as her body changed. Her legs grew membranous folds which flapped frantically to try and pull itself free from her body. Her hair fell away, revealing purple bark. Her torso cracked and opened, the ribs twisting themselves backward until they resembled the legs of a horseshoe crab, waving in the air. Each part of her gaining independence, freedom, perhaps even sentience, as I tried to hold her together to keep her with me. She broke apart and fell through my fingers like sand. The last part of her to go was something resembling a bright blue lizard. It stared at me with her eyes as I wept, arms holding air before some predator swooped down from the sky, snapping up the lizard in its mandibles. She's gone now. I'm not sure why I keep going. Day 16. I'm abandoning the encampment. There's nothing left. All the metal, plastic, and glass has been incorporated into the wildlife. The ground is as bare as if we'd never made landfall. All that's left are indentations in the soil from the ship's landing gear. But I can't stay here. Unseen wildlife calls to me from the moving forests. They're strange. Melodies seem to carry Jay's voice, like the entire planet is mocking me. The longer I stay, the more time I waste. I need to push forward. Day 18. I spent yesterday climbing one of the taller rock formations. I thought maybe if I could get above the radiation I could send a message back to our orbiting ship. Maybe I could get it to deploy the second lander. <sighs> Futile. If anything, the radiation blanket got heavier the higher I climbed. Sending any electronic transmission through that would be like throwing an egg through a jet engine and expecting it to come out the other side intact. And... And, and can I just say... Fuck this planet. Fuck this mission. Fuck Historium. I didn't even want to do this. Really. <laughs> this is Jay's fault. If she hadn't been so damn insistent, so fucking excited about the prospect of coming here, then I wouldn't be in this mess. She'd still be alive. I wish she was. I wish I could tell her to her face how much this hurts, how, how goddamn scared I am. But she's not. 
She checked out early. So fuck her too. <clears throat> I'm not totally alone out here. After all, the RL suit face shield glows with dozens of friendly little indicators and notifications. Outside temperature. Proximity alarms. The environmental radiation alert. That one never turns off. I saw a new one today. A little burger with an X through it. It blinks. On. Off. On. Off. It's telling me that the emergency storage pack is empty. It's telling me I'm out of food. I saw something today. I know I should be preserving my energy, but lately I've been walking a lot, trying to see if there's anything I could have missed. I climbed the rock formation again, but this time I left behind an emergency beacon just in case there's a break in the radiation. Maybe it'll work. Between the climb and the lack of food, by midday I was exhausted, achy and suffering from a pounding headache. But I'm sure I saw what I saw. Something I can't explain. Even if I could, I don't think I could bear it. A large animal strode past me on long antelope legs. I watched it idly from twenty yards away where I huddled in the shade of a rocky alcove. Its body was a nearly perfect orb covered in thick black fur. It turned to me, and for a moment the fur parted to reveal a hidden face. My stomach turned. It was Jay's face. No mistake about it. It scanned me with disinterested herbivore eyes. Not her real eyes. Before glancing over my head where a massive purple forest had grown. The high branches were heavy with blood-red fruit. The beast wanted to gorge itself. But Jay... Jay, Jay was still in there, somewhere. I stood up on shaky legs as the animal turned away, heading toward the forest. It crouched low, and I saw two nubs begin to expand on its back as it evolved a pair of wide, translucent wings. Before it could take off, I threw myself on its back, knocking it to the ground. I rolled its body, searching for the face, her face, avoiding the kicking legs as they grew more muscular in response to the violence. But I couldn't find it. Jay's face had been swallowed up. The beast's flesh was surprisingly soft as I tore into it with my gloved hands, ignoring the dog whistle scream that came from some unseen cavity. I plunged arm deep into the creature, searching for Jay's face. The beast's gizzards were a melange of writhing snakes painted in impossible colors, tubes that could have been veins, arteries, and intestines detached and reattached themselves at the random whim of nature. The face still eluded me. The beast renewed its defenses. Sometime in the past minute the wings had adapted themselves, forming claws that raked at me. Claws that disintegrated as they touched the suit's RL field. I snapped the creature's limbs from their sockets and dug deeper into the awful. But the face was... gone. Like a tidal pool, she had surfaced only for a moment before being swallowed up again. I pulled my hands free, 
defeated. The beast, mangled beyond recognition, decided to abandon its form altogether, splitting into seven separate organisms, six which scuttled off in different directions. The seventh burrowed underground. I was still sitting here. She abandoned me. Like I was... Like I was nothing. Again. It's hard to tell if I'm hallucinating. I feel like I've been hallucinating since we landed. I wish that was the case. That one day I might shake myself free from this... Bizarre illusion and awake back on Earth. Safe and sound. I've been sleeping more since I ran out of food. When I sleep, I can't help but dream of Jay's cooking. Even though she's the one responsible for all this. I keep busy by tinkering with the suit. Maybe there's a way to expand the RL field effect. Some way I could sterilize the organic matter so I could eat it. As I'm saying it, I know it won't work. <laughs> I don't move anymore. Not unless I absolutely have to. Just forming a sentence takes nearly all my energy. I'll make this as short as I can. It's dark. Sun is down. Soon the animals will evolve and change, but I'll still be here. Every attempt to leave the planet, send a message, build a habitat for myself, everything has failed. I have water, and the suit provides shelter enough, but any food gathered here would be radioactive, like eating plutonium. Jay, she won't leave me alone, even after all she's done. I see her everywhere, in everything, even now, at the end. It's cruel, Jay. Cruel. I'm dying. I'm gonna die here. Maybe when Hysterium agents arrive, they'll find my desiccated corpse. Maybe they'll even bring it back to Earth, give me a, <clears throat> a proper burial. If this recording is found, I want my assets distributed to... <laughs> Wait. There's... Something coming over the hill. Maybe. I can't... You can't... Can't see much through the dark. Some sort of mass. Bipedal. Not human. It's... It's reaching out for me. Hey. Jay?
it's gone, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. Melted into spores that float on the breeze. They twinkle in the moonlight, like fireflies. Fireflies. Okay, Jay. I understand. I forgive you. I'll follow you. One more time. If I can't be your husband, then I can be your symbiote, your parasite, your father, your mother, your prey, whatever this planet wants. I'm yours. Forever. The Wrong Station is made possible by the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Consider visiting today at patreon.com slash thewrongstation. You can also support us by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, or wherever it is that you listen to The Wrong Station. This week's episode, Unbridled, was written by Jacob Duarte Spiel and performed by Anthony Botello. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Ilan Citrin, and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmid. You can subscribe to The Wrong Station on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and any other of your favorite podcast services. You can follow The Wrong Station on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. You can also follow The Wrong Station creative team on Twitter at AEW Saxton, AJV Batello, and Jacob BRDS. And until next time... Thank you for listening. <laughs>